hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers, making wonderful Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, and New Year's gifts. Or just for the heck of it, buy five copies or so. <laughs> now, between the two of us, we have over 50 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. All right, and on today's episode, this is a little bit of a special one because this is sort of breaking news, and we got to get this out to y'all as fast as we can. So we're going to have a couple pieces of feedback before we sit down and we talk with the folks behind the Anchor Employees Union about their plans to try and rescue the brewery. Yeah, uh, good on them. Yep. All right, so without further ado, let's go! All right, we'll be right back for some announcements. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Give or receive an American Homebrewers Association membership by December 31st and select a free brewing book of your choice. This holiday season, purchase one-year membership and choose from 60 different beer and brewing books to meet your goals. Why I suggest simple homebrewing? Visit homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for details. Hurry, this offer expires December 31st. Welcome back, and like we promised you, we have a few announcements to kick things off. Yep, and of course, as always, you need to go check your your podcast feed to see what we've been posting. Do you know anything about growing mushrooms? Well, I'm going to start growing mushrooms, and I talked with Jessie Busser to, you know, remember her? She was behind the Craft Malt Guild for a while. Right. Uh, but now she's out there growing mushrooms, and she walked me through what it takes to go make mushrooms. It's not nearly as hard as you think, and let's face it, mushrooms are delicious. Yeah, you know, man, that's one of those things that I've been thinking about for a long time, and this may finally just make me do it. Yeah, there you go. So go grow some shrooms. Yeah. All right. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, and click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause. Which is the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. These wonderful people rescue wonderful dogs from shelters and train them to be disaster search rescue dogs. And man, you know, there's always a need for that, I'm afraid. So let's help them help everybody else and help out these wonderful pooches. Go to our website, experimentalbrew.com, click on the Patreon link, send us a few bucks that we can pass along to them to help out. Yes, help rescue a dog so they can rescue us. That's right. All right. And now... It's time for my favorite segment of every week. It's time for your feedback. feedback. Boy, that's amazing. I know, right? It takes a little, little bit of training. So we got two <laughs> pieces of feedback. One of them is actually really more of a question, but we're going to slide it in here anyway. First piece is uh, Craig Harwell uh, about the IBU experiment replay. If you haven't been paying attention to your feed, 
Denise put together a couple of special episodes that are all about the IBU experiments that we did and a couple of other IBU things that we think that you should know. And Craig says, a great episode. One idea I had had about folks whose IBUs were consistently low is that perhaps they live at high elevation where their boil temperature is reduced. This could definitely reduce IBUs to some extent. I have to factor this in when brewing on my Pico Brew system, which must keep its maximum temperature below my area's actual boiling temperature. Thanks for your years of service to the homebrewing community. Cheers. Um, Craig, I think, I don't remember if we talked about it in the episode or not, but we, Denny and I have talked about this in the past. And I don't think it was elevation. I do think a number of our lower end results were from people using Pico systems, which makes absolute perfect sense, right? Because the Pico, uh, the Pico systems don't quite reach a full boil. Uh, yeah, but hops I summarize at 180 degrees, so it seems to me like as long as you're that high, and let's face it, I don't think anybody would be uh, boiling much lower than that, no matter what their elevation. I, I'm anybody brewing on that ever? How can, yeah, right. I'm questioning how it could make a difference if you're boiling at 210 instead of 212, for instance. Well, but I do know that all of our Pico examples were low. Um, well, I, I didn't remember that, but yep. um, and, and maybe that could account for something else. Maybe the fact that you were uh, boiling in such a confined uh, area or, you know, isomerizing the hops in such a confined area uh, meant that uh, you weren't really getting full utilization. I, I can't tell you. Uh, all I can say is that temperature seems unlikely to me. I've looked into this a bit lately, and I don't see that – you know, as long as you're above isomerization temp, that it makes a difference. But, you know, I've been wrong many times before. There is a difference in hop utilization based on kettle geometry, based on uh, boil vigor, based on a couple of other factors. So it's a complicated thing. But regardless, what it comes back to again and again, and I think we said this again many times in the episode, the IBU is a lie. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Learn, learn what... The number that your system tells you the IBUs are, learn how that relates to your taste, and then it doesn't really matter because you can always then get the beer you want. Yeah, yeah. treat it as a relative measure. All right, yep. and our second piece of feedback, which is really a question, comes from Michael from Denmark, who says, I have a question regarding getting others involved in our wonderful hobby. Some time ago, one of my neighbors, who brews beer occasionally, asked if I would introduce six of his friends to beer brewing on January 6th. I immediately said, yes, as I'm only interested in introducing more people to the world's best hobby. I myself am a trained primary school teacher and work on a daily basis training and teaching Danish government employees and leaders. That raises some questions I know. Yeah. Uh, so I have a bit of an idea of how I approach the task. However, I'm also afraid of getting too geeky about a subject I, I'm, I'm also afraid of getting too geeky about a subject I'm deeply passionate about and thereby scaring them away rather than making them curious about beer brewing. So my question to you is, how would you approach it? What consideration would you make in relation to arousing their interest? And what pitfalls do you see, and what should I try to avoid? Am I taking this too seriously? Uh, bonus question. In the various podcasts, different brew systems from Grandfather, Anvil, Clawhammer, and so on are often discussed. I myself have a Browmaster 20. Is the Browmaster not even a thing in the U.S.? With best regards, Michael from Denmark. P.S. Sorry for my poor English. First off, Michael, your English is much better than a lot of people's English, and it's a hell of a lot better than my Danish. Yeah, really, man. Um, <laughs> I, I would say that Michael has put his finger on the issue right there. Don't geek out and get too intense and technical about it. 
You know, I have taught many, many beginner brewing classes. I probably you have too. Mm-hmm. Get them in there with extract. Do it the simplest way possible. The idea is to show them that it's fun, that it's easy, that it's not going to stress them out. And if you're like brewing all grain and going, oh, damn, I missed my mash temp by two degrees and stuff, these people are going to be thinking, you know, I don't really think I want to deal with this. This sounds like more hassle than it's worth. So keep it fun, keep it easy, keep it fast. And keep the beer coming, but also control the speed at which the beer comes. Yeah, I, I would I would say pour small samples. Don't go around giving everybody pints. Maybe a you know a a three ounce sample of you know five different beers or something like that to get them into the wide world of beer styles that they'll be able to brew once they start learning to brew. But believe me, if you get them totally whacked out, they're they're not going to remember much about what you've been trying to teach them. I, I speak from experience. So, you know, give them some beers, but give them beers as examples of what this hobby can lead to for them. And then show them how fast, easy, and fun it can be, not how geeky and difficult it can be. Yeah, and if you, you know, since Michael's already a teacher, he knows the value of handouts. You know, just make a little simple handout so people can follow along, too. You right. Know, it doesn't have to be super complicated. It doesn't have to be like, you know, here's the here's all the steps to go recreate everything you want to do. Uh, but just a simple simple little handout to give to people to say, here's what we're doing, yada, yada, yada. If you are going to, if you want to avoid doing extract, I'm with Denny on this. I think doing, like, extract with grains is good because it sort of yeah. shows you a pseudo-mashing process that's not really a mashing process. Uh, but if, uh, you're not set up to do that because, you know, like your, your speed old is too big and you don't have the other equipment that you need. <sighs> a, a pot in the kitchen is the other equipment you need. Yeah. I, I would say that if your only option is to teach them all grain, then don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Start, start with extract with, with grains. If you really want, you can also during that lull that you have sometimes in brewing, you can say, Hey, by the way, you know, this is some other stuff that you can do. Don't no, take no, don't, don't don't take it beyond the cartoon level. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't even do that. Why why would you want to confuse them when they're just getting started? Mm-hmm. Say that this is one of the ways you can brew beer, and uh, maybe in the handout you can relate to all green or something like that. But I would not personally. I I wouldn't want to get them off course by thinking about that, especially if they're going to be drinking. Man, yeah. <laughs> you know they'll end up going. Okay, now what am I supposed to be doing here? Well, and it, but I mean at the same time, don't be. If you have people who are fascinated by gear, right? I mean, show them the gear. You know, just don't just don't get all up in their business about it. So, I, again, I think the 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 parts with which Denny and I agree: keep it simple, start with extract with grains, serve beer, but not too much, and keep it loose and have some fun. Yeah, yeah you know, play so. play some good music, eat some good food. Concentrate more on the how than the why for right now. That doesn't mean you have to leave out all the why, but you should make sure that they understand how to do it. And then, you know, the why will kind of come along with that. Yeah, unless the why that you want to talk about is why do you spend hours doing this hobby for something to buy? Moral deficiency, I think. <laughs> well, and, and also to cover Michael's other question, he asked about the Speedles. Are Speedles not a thing here, or Braumeister, is that not a thing here in the U.S.? It is, 
But for whatever reason, I know the the Braumeisters are much bigger overseas and in other places. Uh, for whatever reason, the Braumeister never seems to have taken off here in the U.S. in quite the same way. You know, so, yeah, most of the people I know who use these kind of electric brewing systems, they are the things that you mentioned, the claw hammers, the grandfathers, the anvils. Uh, and the, the Braumeister never really kind of seemed to take a lot of seat. And I think some of that's because of where the price point was in relation to where the community was about uh, all-in-one systems at the time. You Because know, the, those Braumeisters were kind of expensive for a period of time when people were like going, no, you need three vessels in order to be able to do this. And I think right. the other I think the other brands came in at just the right moment to take advantage of people going, you know what? I don't need to take up this much space with kettles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for whatever reason, and there I'm sure are, are several, uh, they have just not really made a big impact in the U.S. I don't think I know anybody here that uses them, but I know people in Europe and South America that do. I know one person who has one, but I, the one I remember is uh, Ronaldo's house down in Brazil. Yeah. And, and that giant Prowmeister with the basket. That's, that's the one I was thinking of. Here, use the winch in order to pick up the basket. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I use a winch now. Well, that's true, because you got, you've got the big grandfather. All yeah. right. Well, Michael, thank you for your question. And everybody else out there, don't forget, if you got questions, let us know. Podcast yeah. at experimentalbrew.com. Yeah, we love to pretend like we know what we're talking about. So send us your questions. Yep. And now, on to the lounge. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll be over in the lounge with uh, Drew talking to the Anchor Union employees about what they hope to do. Yeast's fourth quarter legacy curation features two legendary strains for autumn brewing, 1968 London ESB Ale and 1728 Scottish Ale. These yeast strains were isolated 30 years ago for our culture collection and continue to be brewmasters' top choices for traditional multi-European ales today. Both are regarded for their high flocculation and suitability for strong and seasonal specialty styles like double IP smoked and barrel-aged beers, British bitters, barley wine, and more. Completing this curation are two limited-release lager favorites, 2000 Boudvar Lager and 2001 Pilsner Urkel H-Strain. Available now through the end of December, Boudvar Lager delivers rich maltiness and subtle fruit notes while allowing hop character to come through in Czech lagers and German Helles styles. The Pilsner Urkel Strain produces mild floral aromas and a clean, dry palate and full mouthfeel for Czech lagers and Bohemian-style pilsners. Catch up on our latest blog posts and learn more about this release at yeastlab.com. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch two-in-one distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. 
Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. to the lounge where we're lounging. I mean, what else would you do in a lounge? And uh, Drew recently had uh, an opportunity to talk to Patrick from the Anchor Brewing uh, Employees Union about what they hope to do about the brewery closing. Yeah. So remember, I think you'd have to be under a rock if you didn't pay attention to the, or hear about this. Uh, back in July, Sapporo announced they were closing Anchor and selling it off. And the Employees Union has actually gotten together and is trying to put together a bid on getting the brewery back into business and staying in San Francisco. So sit back. This is an an interesting conversation filled with both realities and hopes and dreams. All right. And so as we said in the show notes, we've talked about Anchor in the past. We've talked about the whole situation that's happened with Anchor. Uh, you know, kind of the stalwart that shocked everybody by going, June, we're only going to distribute in California. Oh, wait, July? Never mind that. We're done. Uh, and, of course, there's been lots of stir and drang and people trying to figure out what to do to save the brand. Because, let's face it, Anchor is its a cornerstone legend of American craft brewing. So I, I'm i sitting here talking to one of the people trying to figure out how to save it. So, sir, introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, um, I'm Patrick Mockel. I was the production lead uh, for Anchor Brewing right before it closed. Um, I am now the chair of the co-op board, which was elected by the workers. And so just to put it out there, Anchor had the distinction of being one of America's only or one of the few uh, unionized craft breweries, right? Yeah. And so this co-op board is born out of the union, I believe. Correct. Right. So um, I got I to gotta ask first, I mean, for those of us who are sitting outside the brewery, you know, that July announcement of, oh, yeah, by the way, we're closing the brewery came as a complete shock. I mean, I think people knew there were like, you know, issues and all that sort of fun stuff. But I don't think anybody expected, oh, yeah, by the way, we're closing. Uh, how, how much of a shock did that come to you guys? I mean, we saw the writing on the wall. You know, like we knew it was going to come at some point just by what we've been seeing over the past couple of years, specifically the last year. Like we were like, this isn't looking good for us. Um, the the speed at which it happened, I think, is what caught everybody off guard. 
we didn't hear about that news until like three o'clock in the morning and yeah. they didn't even tell us we got it from the chronicle to know that we were out of a job <laughs> gotta love how that works <laughs> yeah I guess the excuse was that they had to release it in Japan, so of course that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the fun of uh, international ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even in my job, I have to deal with stuff across multiple datelines, so yeah, it makes sense. But still, uh, yeah, I just remember like it was one night there were suddenly like a bunch of rumblings, like uh oh, something something big's happening, and then the next thing you know, bam! I was like, whoa, what the hell? I don't think I yeah. expected that. Um, so you said you were the, the, the lead, uh, lead brewer there. How'd you get involved in brewing? Uh, lead production, lead production. So, sorry. Yeah. 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 The, the way that anchor works, it's super old school. So like we have very specific departments. So the brewers kind of stick to their thing, mm-hmm. which all they're worrying about is making sure that they have steam porter, et cetera. Then we have like a seller team that then handles everything from that part part which has its own two departments. So you have filtration and fermentation. And then it comes down to production, which has its own. Towards the end there, we were all kind of doing everything, but we right. had a canning, racking, which is a keg line, and a bottle line. But yeah, that, there's a whole bunch of moving parts, but we're all trying to do the same thing. Yeah, it, it is funny. You go into an old school uh, production brewery, and I'll use the example of Budweiser, like here in uh, Van Nuys, California. And yeah, you see that very clear delineation between departments. I don't think a lot of people who are used to thinking about craft breweries think, right? <laughs> it's like, right. You know, no, we got we got like three people and they do everything. Because um, I think even that Anheuser-Busch plant over in Van Nuys, they run three different departments. And each shift, it's two brewers per department, which is amazing to me. But that's what you can do when you have a ton of money. <laughs> anchored, anchored a little more old school. Yeah. Um, all right, and so how did you get involved in actually doing that? Um, I actually uh, was working at a coffee shop in the same neighborhood, and we used to serve uh, one of the old maintenance guys. Uh, his name is Jerry. He retired soon after I got hired. But um, he used to come in pretty much 6 o'clock in the morning, ready to go. We knew his order right off the bat. He got it for another guy that was working in the warehouse. Uh, his name is Mitch. That guy's amazing. Um, but for a couple of uh, years, like I was seeing this guy in a big white suit, like you work at Anchor, obviously, because that's like a very clear indication that you're there because we're also super old school that we wear like those uh, white jumpsuits. It's mm-hmm. pretty easy to spot. Um, but he was saying that we're opening up a public bar. You should go apply. So I, you know, took his advice, uh, went down there. They said, we're not hiring. So I was like, okay, well, I'll see you in a couple days. I'll come right back. And I had like four or six interviews before they were just like, all right, we're not going to get rid of this kid. Like, let's just hire him on. Right. Um, so I started as a bar back, went up to bartending, uh, moved over to the production side of things and then, uh, moved my way up from there. There we go. Um, now let's talk about the 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 union and the co-op, um, because obviously people have been looking at this, and I think one of the first things when the news spread was people were like going, you know, can't can't this can't the employees do something? Um, how many people are in the co-op right now, like in, um, in this effort? 
So right now it's kind of a weird situation because we don't really have a facility, uh-huh. right? So we can't really pay people to be part of the co-op. Um, but we do have a board that is the first kind of official members of it. Uh, I don't say, I, I don't want to say like we're actually paying for shares yet, but, um, it's a weird process to be a part of, but right now it's just the board. We're hoping to bring back as much as possible of the past workers to bring them on board, but we can't do anything right now. You know what I mean? Right. So, but to give people an idea, uh, what's the current effort? The current effort is this board that was elected by the workers um, is trying to place a bid in the ABC process, which for viewers that are listening, it's a really weird process that is kind of like bankruptcy, but it is not. ABC stands for the assignment to the benefit of creditors. So essentially, Sapporo is giving up control to a third party that is selling off the assets and they're putting out a bid process today on the 17th, actually. Um, and we are part of the crew that is trying to get as much as we possibly can work with investors and get some community investment to make it worker owned and operated. Okay. And yeah, I think I saw something where like, I mean, they're talking about splitting off the assets, like obviously that beautiful brewery there. Um, uh, San Francisco real estate apparently is very expensive from what I understand. Uh, (laughs) um, So that's obviously a major asset. And so I think I saw some stuff where they're like talking about, Oh, we're going to break this out and we're going to do this, that, and the other. And of course, then there's also the whole IP idea, you know, the anchor name and the recipes and you know, all the trademarks. Um, So, but the, the goal right now, it seems like you guys want to keep everything intact as much as possible, right? As much, but we're also being realistic. We can't come up with $40 million. That's a crazy amount on our own. And we don't expect the community to, you know, push for that either. But uh, I think the way that we're looking at it is if we can get the IP at least, Mm -hmm. then at least we could have some leverage there to work with other people that want the real estate. And if that doesn't work out, at least we have the IP and then we could potentially move somewhere else within San Francisco. Right. Well, and for anybody who hasn't been to the brewery uh, in the past, one, I'm sorry because you missed a hell of an experience. I mean, it's a beautiful, old, weird, wacky facility. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I have to imagine it, it looks beautiful and weird and wonderful to me uh, as a visitor. I have to imagine it came with its own challenges as somebody trying to make beer in it. But, you <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, it, it, it was an interesting experience. I can tell you that. All right. So perfect world goal. We get everything. Life is good. Anchor reopens. Uh, we get the, the flags flying again above the brewery and, and life is good. Secondary goal and arguably probably the most realistic one is to be able to get the IP and, and then work from there. Um, yeah, you know, I was just thinking about it. Like, yeah, if you guys didn't have access to the brewery anymore, then you got all the the weirdness of dealing with those big open trays and what uh, you know what sort of impact that has on the yeast and on the flavor of the beer, as opposed to most breweries these days. You go in, it's all uh, conical tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that that offers some interesting challenges. It does. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> we we have a really weird, almost. Compared to today's standards of efficiency, it's like, why even do it? Mm-hmm. But that's who we are, you know? Yeah. Well, and again, I think I described this before to the listeners. I mean, if, you, if you're if you in anger, 
One, a gorgeous old German brewing system with offset grants and all the wonderful old technology that Germans would probably look at and go, why are you using that? Mm-hmm. Um, open fermenters with, uh, you know, sort of sealed off rooms that were all nice, uh, positive pressure, I believe, right? Yep. Um, you know, so nice, long, shallow trays for everything to ferment in, which, uh, well, except for what the porter and IPA were done in the big squares, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, which were deeper tanks. Um, and, you know, it's just, it is. It's a wonderful, quirky facility that absolutely had to impact the the beer character. But, uh, yeah, if you guys can't get that, darn. But if you guys can keep the brand alive and keep the, the idea of the beer alive, I, I'm full-throatedly in, in favor of that. Yeah, I mean, we, we love our facility. Like, that's like our second home, you know. Like, we're so used to the weird little quirky things that we had to do to get beer to people that it would suck if we have to leave. But as history states, you know, we're a 127 year old brewery. Um, it's a move that at least three times before. So it's not out of the question. Well, I was going to say the, the brewery that everybody thinks about, uh, over there in Potrero. I mean, that's, I mean, what, that was late seventies. Yeah, yeah. Late, late sixties, early seventies, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, even then it's not, Anchor's oldest brewery, but you know, it, it's, it's not where it started. It's not where it's going to end. I hope. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've got the goal. Uh, obviously you said $40 million is going to be a bit of a stretch. Um, I assume that right now you guys are doing, uh, efforts to raise funds along multiple lines, right? Correct. Yeah. We're, yeah. Sorry. I'll let you go. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was, that was a question. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm in meetings like constantly. It's it's pretty crazy how fast this is going along. But um, yeah, we we just launched our WeFunder site um, to get community investment. We're doing something called testing the waters right now, mm-hmm. so showing that there is uh, kind of enough. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Buy-in to get onto this, right? Right. Uh, that as well as that. We are also talking to other investment groups that potentially might be putting their bid in, as well as trying to create uh, relationships with pretty much direct competition to see if we could work a deal out or try and work some something together to just get back in there. So kind of almost like a how people do in a parliamentary system where, yeah, look, we're forming a coalition government. <laughs> yeah, basically, except we're doing a co-op. <laughs> um well, yeah, because I, I remember when the closure got announced, there was suddenly there was a whole flurry of activity where there were a bunch of people. And let's face it, San Francisco has some fairly well-off people uh, in the area mm-hmm. due to some obnoxious industry that I work in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so there was a lot of noise from people back then. They're like, oh, you know, we have to save this because it's a San Francisco treat. Not the San Francisco, but um, – yeah, and I, I have to imagine, hopefully, some of those people are still involved. And yeah, I mean, if it's a individual basis thing, you know, maybe somebody's eyeing their way to be a uh, the next Fritz. Um, but yeah, it would be great if they could, if they could work with you guys and 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 make that happen. But now, if I, as an individual who is not made of incredible tech bro money, uh, wanted to help out and support the co-op's efforts, how would I do that? So we are uh, getting people to go to the WeFunder site. There are le- a lot of legalities with it. 
um, because we have to deal with securities laws and stuff like that. So there are some complications with it. But um, if, I mean, we're still doing our GoFundMe. That's still up and running. So if you do have like a super small donation, like we've seen people putting in like 20 bucks to that thing and that still helps. We still have to pay or a lawyer team because, you know, they want to get paid as well. Um, but the WeFunder has a whole, our whole pitch on it, explains our idea of where we want to go, explains kind of a little bit of the financials. We can't give out everything yet for obvious reasons. Um, but that in its own will uh, give you a little piece of the investment and kind of where our plan is. All right. And so that's WeFunder. Uh, I have to imagine that as with all things business and legal, this is a slow process. This isn't like, you know, you said today there, there things were opening up as we're talking, which is this is a uh, Friday, November 17th uh, for the listeners who will hear this later. Uh, things were opening up now. Like, is there any sort of expected timeline that all this is happening across? I mean, we still, we still have to um, file some paperwork with uh, WeFunder and the government, I guess. Um, so it is going to be a little bit of time before we're actually able to use those funds. But the fact that we're there and can show proof that we're getting there will get us into that bid uh, process pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't. we don't have a real timeline with it. All we know is that the bids are open on the 17th. From there, we're thinking maybe a couple months for them to kind of flesh out, you know, people that are serious about it and people that um, were just, you know, weren't as serious. Right. Uh, but there, I, we've also been told by the person or the people uh, doing the bidding process uh, by the name of Hilco um, that they are looking to potentially like kind of marry certain uh, people together that are serious. Because they they also you know want to get their money as well, right? So and it's also interesting because I know there's a lot of you know people who want to get grumbly with Sapporo and you know there's plenty of reasons for doing that about this whole thing. But I mean now uh, Sapporo is basically completely out of this picture now, right? Yeah, we're not dealing with Sapporo anymore. All right, okay. So now this is all uh, this is all a, a weird third party hand, and all they really care about is being able to turn around and you know get the assets out of their hands and the money into their pockets. Yeah, and 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 we've been told that they're they're trying to be as neutral and fair as possible, which is great because that wasn't the kind of reaction we were getting from Sapporo. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to ask the obvious question. Yeah, since you already talked about the the building and and how how much of a stretch that would be, mm-hmm. um, what do you th- how do you feel about your chances of being able to pull pull this off and bring Anchor back as a co op? We're pretty confident. Pretty confident. Yeah, we, we have a good amount of like, if we're doing something, people want to know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, which is a lot different than like some shadow people behind the doors trying to make a deal. Um, we've put this story on a lot of people's maps that it, it already was a big story to begin with, mm-hmm. but we definitely were just like, well, we need to be up front and center and we want to tell people that we are trying to do this. So at least that gives us a little bit of um, leverage there that like, hey, we got to be part of the process. Well, and I mean, I know I'm I'm me and I have my own beliefs, but I, in a lot of ways, I 
I feel that you all have the 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 high ground, the moral high ground, shall we say? <laughs> right, 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 right. This is our blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. So, all right. Any last things that people need to know about supporting uh, your effort? Because I, you know, again, they don't go rail it. Sapporo, Sapporo's done with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm not going to drink Sapporo anymore. I'll tell you that. But um, I was there, so my experience is a little bit different. Um, I just want to say, just going on to WeFunder slash, I think it's Anchor SF, mm-hmm. um, which is the pretty much you can see everything there. You won't see all the info. Like I mentioned before, we are in the first initial process called testing the waters, mm-hmm. but we are hoping that we can get some solid money going. Um, we get email notifications of every donation. So our phones have been kind of going off the hook right now. Mine's still on the charger because I don't want it to die. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's our GoFundMe is still active as well. If you want to make a smaller donation, um, our social medias, uh, the union's running the social medias right now. Um, so Anchor Union or Anchor Union SF is most of our social media handles. Um, we also have a website, uh, anchorcooperative.com. If you want some more info, there's also a press release there um, with some contact info. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Hopefully, we could get some listeners to invest in a little part of history here. Um we think that we're doing the right thing by our company and by our brand. And hopefully this keeps going. Yeah. And just to put it out there so that people understand like how serious this is, I'm, I'm looking at both the, the WeFunder and the GoFundMe. And I mean, between those two, you've raised a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, so, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. This is this is not a fly by night type of, you know, we're taking a, a flyer at this. You guys are, are really serious about this. Um, so we will make sure that all those links are in the show notes and, you know, please go and click and give a support. Um, I have to ask, given that, uh, given that you lived with that beer for, for forever and a day of all the things that you produced at the brewery, what, what was your go-to and what was your favorite? Recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's a couple of eras of anchor beer that I really liked, right? Um, before we closed, I was a real big fan of our West coast. Um, surprised that it took us so long to actually make a West Coast. Um, but that was my go-to beer, super middle of the road, not crazy bitter, not super light, but right there was perfect for my taste. Um, nowadays, anywhere that I could find steam beer, that is my go-to. It's been slowly kind of getting phased out from places. Yep. Before my time at Anchor, that big leaf maple, and I will tell people this till the day I die, was one of my most favorite beers there. Um, I get mixed reactions with people that work there who, that didn't really like it, that thought it was too sweet, but I thought that that was an amazing beer. Yeah, and it's funny that you talked about errors at uh, Anchor because like all the Fritz years, it felt like they were very locked in. Like they, uh, we mm-hmm. had we had the beers that we make, and these are the beers that we make, and it felt very much like Fritz being very traditional, right? You know, you know, we make steam, we make the IPA, we make the porter, and then we make like our special ale and old foghorn, you know, <laughs> and that's, yeah. And sometimes a wheat beer. Um, and then when was it Griffin 
When, uh, yeah, Keith, uh, Keith and Tony were the names of those guys. Yeah, when Griffin bought, uh, bought in, then it sort of opened up. And then, because I think it's just adjusting the reality of the market. And then over the last, from then on through the Sporo Age, it's suddenly like going, Anchor's got a new beard. That's weird. I didn't expect that. Um, like it, it fought against my mind. But I I love to see that. I, I've always been uh, an Anchor Liberty fan. Yeah, that's a solid one. Yeah, to me, it it's so funny because Denny and I talked about this before, and we've talked a lot about where IPA has gone over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, Anchor Liberty, for being as old as it is, because I think the what the current Anchor or the kind of the current idea of Anchor Liberty got set in the early 80s, uh, it presaged a lot of what modern West Coast IPA is because it's pretty flat, flat malt bill without a lot of added gigaws. And then yeah. just kind of that one focus on Cascade. Uh, so very interesting uh, that I uh, we we had talked offline about the the old uh, Anchor Cup, and uh, I just remember the year that my club won when I was president. You know, of course they made the president chug from that mug, um, <laughs> which again that's a quart, and that's a pretty heavy chug. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, all, all of my all of my compadres were pushing for me to try and you know chug old foghorn, which is a bad idea. And instead, I did liberty. You know what's funny too is uh, that old foghorn. It's a tour guide trick. And uh, <laughs> these guys, what's cool about Anchor is there is a lot of like freedom to do things. And like you know, like we we took liberty to that. No pun intended there. But um, the tour guide showed me. Uh, something called the Old Fogarty, which is essentially <laughs> sorry. There's sorry, I live in Oakland. My bad. <laughs> City life. Yeah, something called the Old Fogarty, which is essentially a mix between Old Foghorn and Liberty. So it would kind of numb the sweetness of what the Foghorn is, mm-hmm. and it would be a pretty easy drinking kind of beer that pretty high alcohol content. Yeah, um, I was going to say, it'd set you on your keister pretty quick. Yeah. So that, that we would do like little, like half pints of those. Um, and you know, it's, it's an awesome little thing that I will take with me, but, uh, yeah. Well, you know what we say? We say yeah. good, uh, good luck to the effort and may this uh, be a way to get back to being able to have old Fogarty. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, again, we will include all the links for all the things that you need to know in order to help out the Anchor Brewing Co-op. Uh, go bring Anchor back and make sure, the, as the slogan that you guys have says, the beer stays here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, go uh, go give a, a little bit of love to not just a California classic, but a worldwide craft beer classic. Well, you know, man, uh, let me just say up front, I'm a big union supporter. I was a union guy for uh, Bo in excess of 30 years, the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees. So I I really understand these guys' concerns and what they're trying to do, I, and I hope they do it. But I just don't know how realistic it is. Yeah, but they seem to have a solid plan. They, they're working on the finances, obviously. The, I also thought it was interesting that they have sort of um, – they have a no, they have an understanding of the realities of they probably would not be able to get the brewery itself, right? Right. Uh, that they and so their focus is primarily on the IP, the recipes, the trademarks, the logos, right. all that sort of fun stuff, uh, which makes perfect sense. 
Uh, and I like the idea of trying to, you know, do a cross collaboration, right? Hey, you know, you rich person who was buying the building, let us still run the brewery in the building, you know, that sort of thing. And well, out. that's, that's, you know, of course, that's a, a really nice idea. That real estate is so valuable, though, I would not be surprised that whoever buys it will just want to tear down what's there and start over again. Yeah. Well, but, I, think, uh, I think if I remember correctly, it was being listed at like somewhere around $40 million, which is yeah. huge. Right. So they're, they are obviously not going to be able to get that together and buy it. But like you said, if they can buy the, uh, the intellectual property and uh, start making the same beers other places – then that would be that would be really great too. I mean, of course, then we lose the history of the Anchor Brewery, but well, but remember, know. and that's that's not Anchor's original brewery, and that that's only been their brewery since what, like 1980. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, in some ways, yes, it would, it would suck to lose that building because that building is gorgeous and cool and fun, and the brewery itself is amazing. But as long as they can keep Anchor itself alive, I'm happy to do that. Make sure you check the show notes where we're going to include links to things like the Anchor Union GoFundMe, but also their WeFunder. So you can jump in and you can you know, put a little bit of your cash where your money is in terms of your Anchor-loving heart. <laughs> yeah, so if you got like half a million or so to spare, then you know what to do with it. No, but I mean, look, they, they even said in there, it's like you know, even a $20 donation helps us. So That's right, man. Anything helps, so. Well, more power to them, man. I hope that they're able to do something. We're going to be back in just a minute with a quick tip and something other before we get out of here. The ultimate all-in-one electric home brewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in home brewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves workflow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3,300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com. done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. With Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops, it's supporting family farms. 
Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier whose mission is to connect hop growers and brewers. Yakima Chief Hops is proud to have an established return-to-grower program which redistributes an average of 75% of their business earnings back to the family farms who grow the hops in your beer. Where you buy your ingredients matters, and with Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. Learn more at yakimachief.com slash return dash growers. Closing things up, and Drew has a couple tips he's going to lay on you. Well, I got one tip, and I got one thing. Um, so the quick tip is go and seal your grains. Um, if you're going to store your grains for any period of time, we've talked before about storage. Uh, I use buckets for my bulk storage. Uh, Denny, I think you use, what, big Rubbermaid tubs, right? Um, yeah, I keep the grains in their original bags tightly closed and put those in a big Rubbermaid storage tub. Yeah, but if you're the sort of person who goes to the homebrew shop and goes and buys, like, say, a pound of this, five pounds of this, something like that. Go and do yourself a favor and vacuum seal your grains because weevils are still a thing. <laughs> and maybe maybe where you live. I don't know about up here. Yeah, well, we're a little warmer down here. Uh, but yeah, so if you live in a place that may be prone to getting weevils, don't forget to seal your grains because, one, you'll keep your any sort of weevil infestation thing that happens contained, but also you'll discourage the formation of the problem. So seal those grains up. I've always taken my specialty grains that I go and buy at my homebrew shop. Cause again, I'll go and I'll buy like, you know, four pounds of crystal or something at a time. And I go and I separate it out and I vacuum seal it into little bags and doing that keeps everything at bay. So just keep that in mind, seal those grains. Yeah. And if I have four or five pounds or so of something, I'll put it in a, uh, in a Ziploc bag and then put those inside a small Rubbermaid storage tub. And that seemed to be very effective for me too. Yep. But Keep them sealed, keep them cool, keep them dry, and your grains will last a lot longer than you think they will. There you go. And now, for something other than beer, uh, this one's actually inspired by you, Denny. Uh, and oh, the, really? And the upcoming holiday season, which is, uh, while it is the holiday season, don't forget to be a tourist in your own town. Um, and the reason why I'm saying that is uh, you went and discovered a, a new feature of your, your river. Uh, yeah, not, not really my river, but a, a river nearby, about 10 miles down the road. Uh, there's this gorgeous little park, and there's a, a rock slide there that is heavily utilized during the summer for people trying to beat the heat. Uh, one of our neighbors went up there and came back and said, hey, the salmon are running. So Paula and I drove up there. It just turned out to be a beautiful day. And sure enough, we saw the salmon trying to jump up the rock slide uh, to make it upstream to spawn. And I'm sure glad that the rest of us don't have to go through that. <laughs> Wait, you didn't have to go through that? I've been living right along. 
Uh, it, it was a truly amazing site. Uh, I've got a little video that Paula took. Maybe we can post that for you, but it was, it was way cool. And, uh, apparently they run from like May through December there every year. So I guarantee you, we're going to be going back. Uh, I've lived in this house just a few miles away for 30 years and never knew about it until now. So Get out there. Check things out next to you. Maybe it's a lot cooler than you ever realized. Yeah, I think we often get, you know, sort of taken in by the day-to-day, you know, harried life that we lead, right? You know, and we get blinkers on what we're doing. Uh, and so, yeah, it's my advice is don't forget to be a tourist in your own town. And, yes, that means give yourself permission to go do all the stupid touristy crap, too. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it, it got popular with people for a reason. Um, and so like for me, for instance, I'm surrounded by a couple of big, big gardens and I finally decided to, you know, go and become a member of the Huntington, the Huntington garden, uh, in San Marino, just South of me, because turns out if you pay, I forget what it is, like $120 a year, you and your, uh, another person can go into the park, which is this giant garden. Uh, if you didn't have the membership, it would be like 40 bucks a person. So you can see how that math works pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, I go in there sometimes actually just to go do work. Uh, but other times I just go to go walk around the Chinese garden or the Japanese garden or the Rose garden. Uh, and again, it's a very touristy thing, but it's wonderful. And it's one of the things I like about living around here. So, and if I had, didn't allow myself to be a tourist in my own town, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Just because it's a touristy thing doesn't mean that it's not valuable and fun. Yeah. Plus I'm trying to break into the map archive because they've got a giant map collection. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see the maps. Oh, all right. Thank you for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on X, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Drew hangs out on the Slack homebrewing channel and the homebrewing subreddit. You can find me at the AHA Discussion Forum. I'm on Facebook. I'm in the brew house at the Beer Garden. He's everywhere, folks. Uh, yeah, I, I I get around, so you know you can find me someplace. I read that on a bathroom and, stall somewhere. <laughs> no doubt. And if you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to get a hold of us each individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. Or you can send us a text or leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1-ALE. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. (laughs) 